Pray with me. We praise you and we glorify you, Lord. For you are the Lord of lords, you are the King of kings, you are above all other, and there is no one like you. We thank you and praise you for your word this day, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to not only hear it, but to understand it. And we thank you, Lord, that through it you will grow us. I praise and thank you, Lord, for the privilege and honor of proclaiming your word. And I pray in your name, Jesus, that I would decrease and you would increase. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You might notice that the uh, title of this sermon, A Disciple of Jesus Christ, is Incarnational. Say, what? (laughs) And you know, sometimes when people see big words like that, all of a sudden the switch just goes off. I want you to hold on to the switch before you turn it off, because we're going to unpack each section of the title. I want to tell you, though, a couple of stories. Um, I remember that when um, I was going through chemo and I started losing my hair, uh, people came up to me and they said, you know, you and Robert are really starting to look alike. (laughs) I I mean, I think they meant that as a compliment. Um, Robert said, say thank you. Uh, But I was having a hard time with that. And, of course, they meant that my hair was falling out, and he didn't have much at all. And um, so anyway, so I hope that you have not had that same example. Um, But then there's another example about a couple, um, Art and May, and they were just a precious couple in in Alabama at one of my husband's churches. And uh, Art and May were married 65 years, and so we had a big celebration for them at church. And so they stood up to speak, and someone had said to May, you know, y'all just look like twins. I mean, y'all been together so long, you just look just alike, like you could be twins. So when she stands up to speak, this is what she says. We've been married 65 years, and I'm going to give him one more year because he doesn't completely look like me. And if he doesn't look like me in one more year, I'm going to start over, get me another man. <laughs> anyway, she was, she was hysterical, and, uh, and they both were. They did. They looked alike. They did the same things alike. They would help their plates alike. When they sat down in church, every motion that they did was alike. Because they had been together for a long time. But also, as married couples, they were one. Well, a disciple, as we look at our title of our sermon, a disciple in the biblical sense may not necessarily look like the human figure Jesus. But they did look like their master. They started acting like their master. They started talking like their master. Their behavior became very much like their master. 
eventually people started to see the very reflection of Jesus in their face. And soon people started to say, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? And we read that in the book of Acts. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have been given a supernatural likeness, unlike having a human mentor. But because our master was fully God and fully man, we have an incarnational identity. Now, I'm going to say that word probably about 25 times, incarnational. So I just want you to, to just hold on to that word because we're going to slowly look a little bit more at what that means. So why? Why would we who have a master, Jesus Christ, why would we have this special supernatural likeness called an incarnational identity? Because we have Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God living inside of these earthen human vessels. Therefore, our identity is incarnation. Now, let's unpack a little bit about what that means. First of all, you probably know what a disciple is. I've shared a little bit. But let me do a little bit of definitions for you. A disciple, by definition, is one who learns, accepts, and adheres to the teaching of another. Biblically, a disciple of Jesus Christ can be summed up perfectly in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 16, Mark 8, Luke 14, by this scripture. Then Jesus said to his disciples, or, in, or as he says in Mark, and Jesus said to the multitude and his disciples who were with him, if anyone desires to be my disciple, to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So we see that a disciple of Jesus Christ was one who not only followed Jesus, but he denied himself. He let go of who he was or she was, his desires, their desires, their thoughts, their presence, hold on to that, and followed Jesus and took up the cross that was to be their life. Now let's look at the big word, incarnation. Do not get that confused with reincarnation. 
We're not talking about that. We're talking about incarnation. And this is what it means literally. A person who embodies in the flesh a deity, a spirit, or an abstract quality. Now, we see this in the person of Jesus. In John 1, 1, for instance, we know that, we read that all the time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, He was God. Then we go down to John 1, 14. It says, and the Word, He, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me read one other scripture found in John 14, verses 9 through 11. Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long, and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say then, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father, here we go, abiding in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. So we we see that incarnation of a deity embodied in flesh, which is the fully human Jesus. We see an example of that as Jesus. Now, if we look at the adjective of the word incarnation, y'all didn't know y'all were coming to English class, did you? It could be Greek. Believe me, I had to hold off on that. The adjective is incarnational, and that would mean would be the embodying in the flesh a deity, a spirit, or an abstract quality. And you see, we see that in Jesus. We see that incarnational identity in Jesus through the Father. Now, this is the powerful part. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, guess what? We become incarnational in our identity. Because why? We have received, we have embodied in our flesh the identity, the deity of God himself. Now just think about that for just a second. Because we might not have thought about that before. We may not have thought of being incarnational. You know, we talk about Jesus in the Nicene Creed, you know, being incarnate. But but have we ever thought about ourselves? How can we be witnesses of Jesus Christ? If we're not incarnational, if we don't have that very spirit inside of us, 
witnessing Jesus to the world, how can we be? Now, before I talk any, any more and get to the gospel, which I will get there, and even though I've only preached three times, you all know that it takes me just a little while to get down to the actual reading that we did today. Chapter 13 is one of my favorite chapters in Matthew. I just love it. There's seven or eight parables between verses 1 and 52. And then there's only 58 verses in, in that whole chapter. And so, so it's very parabolic, so to speak, in, in its writing, the way Matthew writes it. But it's a key chapter in Matthew, and this is why. Because he talks about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom of God that the incarnational disciple of Jesus Christ lives in. And if we have the spirit of the living God living inside of us, by accepting him through baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, then we are a part of the kingdom of God. And our king is Jesus. And so we live in the kingdom, in the midst of the world. But we're not of this world. Just as Jesus spoke in John 17. He said, Father, as I am not of this world, but, but in the world, they, my disciples, they are not of the world, but they're in the world. And so give them what they need. And what we need is the spirit of the living God so that we too become incarnational disciples of Jesus Christ. That becomes our identity. That's who we are. We are in our flesh embodied by a deity. Now, that is powerful. That is a powerful message from Scripture. That within each of you who has accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and been baptized in the name of the Trinity, you are incarnational in your identity. One final note on Matthew 13. In verses 44 and 45, just to let you know, if you decide to be an incarnational uh, disciple of Jesus Christ, it'll cost you everything. This is not a partial deal. Aren't we glad that Jesus did not die partially? Aren't we glad that Jesus did not forgive our sins partially? Because why? The scripture says that if we break one aspect, one point of the law, we are guilty of it all and condemned to death. So aren't we glad that Jesus died totally and he gave up everything and it cost him everything? It will cost us everything. Now in our gospel reading today, Jesus tells his disciples one of two parables that he interprets. 
The other parable is the parable of the sower, which is my favorite parable. And I'm so sorry I didn't get to preach on that, because I really love that. (laughs) But the Lord had other plans. He was going to anoint and bless my sister here. I knew she was doing that, though. But the parable of the sower is so powerful because it talks about the heart, which is the soil, that must be converted, because the soil is bad. So the soil has to be converted to good soil so that it can receive the good seed. Well, the soil is our heart. Our hearts must be converted. We must receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the seed coming into our lives, into our heart, changing our hearts so that we can have the incarnational identity. Because that seed cannot come into my heart. My heart is fallen without Jesus Christ. I didn't say it. He said it. It's true. So in that parable, when he talks about the good seed coming into the good heart, there are some who are producing a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. It's all good. It's just that we're at different levels, aren't we? Some of us are growing a little bit faster than others. Some aren't quite there yet, but we're getting there. But it's all good. But in this parable of the wheat and the tares, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about two kinds of churches. He's talking about the incarnational church, which is the wheat. And he's talking about the non incarnational church, which are the tares. He's talking about the true church of Jesus Christ, the one that has the incarnational disciples of Jesus Christ living in that, that kingdom, compared to the false church, where that is non-incarnational, that that, that is not the essence. Jesus is not the only way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not the Son of God. That's the false church. You can only come to the Father by Jesus. There is no other way. It doesn't matter what your religion is. You can be Muslim. You can be Hindu. You can be Buddhist. You, we don't think our God is big enough to reveal Jesus to, to all religions. That's the false church. The incarnational church has the spirit of the living God living in its residence. The wheat church, the incarnational church, these are the church of followers, not admirers. Soren Kierkegaard writes that there are so many folks that admire Jesus. You know, they admire him. He's just an amazing, (laughs) wow. He is something, isn't he? Wow. Died on the cross for sins. Woo! That's something, huh? Jesus says, if you want to be one of my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're admirers. They're not followers. 
He uses a common realistic story concerning these wheat and tares. And the wheat, of course, represents the incarnational church. Like the parable of the sower, the incarnational church has the good soil that the good seed has been planted into it. We see that some produce, of course, some 100, some 60, some 30 fold. The wheat is also symbolic of those who are disciples of Jesus, not merely those who call themselves Christians, but are not Christ-like. They're not striving to follow the master. If the master goes off in a different direction, where the Lord is telling us, I don't like the direction you've taken in your life, and we go off in another direction where the world is taking us, then what's happened is we've, we've left. We've left following the master. Now that does not mean that the master has left us. Because he will go after the one sheep, remember? He will go after the one sheep and leave the 99 behind to go find the one sheep that belongs to him. The Lord really put that on my heart to say that, that he will go after the one sheep. To be a part of the wheat church or the incarnational church means that the spirit of the living God dwells in us and is at work in us transforming us and also using us to transform the world because the spirit of Jesus transforms the world. And if that spirit is living in me, then he's going to use that to transform people that come into my path. It's not me, because my incarnational identity is what? What's always the answer? Jesus, thank you. Give that person over there a gold star. That was you, Lena? Okay. Lena gets a gold star. It's always Jesus. It might look like a squirrel, but it's always Jesus. That's the joke. You know, you see the clouds up in heaven and the Sunday school teacher says, so what do you think? What do you think that looks like? And the little boy's looking up there and thinking, you know, it looks like a squirrel, but I'm sure the answer's Jesus. <laughs> and so he says, Jesus. She says, no, actually, that's a squirrel. <laughs> the answer's always Jesus in church. When we are part of the incarnational church, we are following the master. We're denying ourselves. We're denying our thoughts. We're denying our ways. We're denying our desires. We're denying our pleasures that don't please the Lord. We're denying that, if that's what the master tells us to do. And then we're taking up our cross. Now, you know, everybody has a different cross. Everybody's cross looks different. My cross is different than your cross. Your cross is different than mine. 
But when things happen in our lives that are cross-like, and we embrace that cross and say, Lord, I don't understand this, but this is the cross you've given me to bear. And so by your power living inside of me, because my identity is incarnational. So I have the living God that gave Jesus the power as a human being to walk Calvary up to the cross, to take the beating first, and then die on the cross. That same power is working in me. And so, Lord, I need that now. I need you to quicken that in me. Because I'm going through a tough time right now. And because we are incarnational disciples of Jesus Christ, it's there. We have access to it. The incarnational church, the wheat church, is the church where people love to come together so that the presence of God is exponentially multiplied like it is right now. It's everywhere. It's all over everywhere. The presence of God is is powerfully being presented here today because we've gathered together as the kingdom here, as incarnational disciples of Jesus Christ. When we're suffering and we're going through crisis, I know that this is a lesson the Lord has been teaching me, and evidently I haven't learned it. Either that or there's something else, and I don't know about that. But when you're going through a really tough, tough, tough time, and and the focus is on him and on the power that he has to help you get through it, then what happens to you is the presence of Jesus is pushed out of you into the world and you become a witness. You become a witness to people that are suffering and this is what they say. I don't know what it is you got, but I want it. Can I buy it? Nope. Hmm. Do I go somewhere to get it? Is it a course? Uh, Nope. Do you know someone else that has it that maybe I could go and get it from them? I got it. Well, what is it? Do you know that I've actually had somebody ask me that question? I don't know what it is, but whatever it is that you got going on in there, I want it. I said, listen, the only thing I've got going on inside of here is that I recognized that I needed a savior, that I was a mess, that my life was a mess, and I needed a savior. And I was introduced to Jesus Christ. Now, I hate to do it, but we've got to talk about the tares. Most of us don't like to talk about the tares, but we need to talk about the tares. That's the non-incarnational church that is actually within, within the incarnational church. Remember the parable, the wheat and the tares? They're growing together. Remember that? They're growing together. They start off small, they're growing together. 
But let me tell you something about these tares, these weeds. Some call them darnel. It's an interesting thing about this particular weed that he's talking about. They're poisonous. They're not just, you know, common weeds you can go, you know, in your garden and just sort of pick out like this. They're poisonous, and they look a lot like wheat. And what they do, though, is they're so ferocious and they grow so fast that they twist all around the wheat. And the next thing the wheat knows, and I'm moving into symbolism here, is the wheat's involved in the world pretty heavy. And the wheat's become a part of the world. And what was incarnational is leaning towards the non-incarnational. And when these tares tangle up on the wheat and get caught up in the wheat really, really, really good, the wheat doesn't, doesn't thrive very well. The wheat struggles. The wheat can die. It can kill the wheat if it's not taken care of. But another thing about the tares is that they are the false church. They look like wheat. They act like wheat. They even talk like wheat. They might even use the same scripture as wheat. But they're not wheat. They're not, they're not the incarnational church. They are the false church. They're a church where people love to gather and do services and sing nice songs. They like to look incarnational. They like other people to see them at church. They like to tell people that they went to church. They like to say, I'm a churchgoer, but they're not the real church. They do a lot of good works, a lot of good works, but they're not followers. They're admirers. This is the symbolism that Jesus is, is showing between the wheat and the tares, the incarnational church, the non-incarnational church. The church that is being fed by the living God. The church that believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. That's the incarnational church. Anything else is not. Those who are his disciples and live in the power of the living God are given this amazing identity. And it is an amazing identity. Because when people see it, they want it. Some people aren't sure what it is. But they, they know there's something different. That you're not just a regular human being. There's something about you that's different. You're not like the world. You're not even not like some of the churches I've gone to. You're different. It's because you're acting like Jesus. Because he is your identity. He is who rules and reigns in your life. Now at the end of this parable, the owner of the farm, or Jesus calls him the landowner, who has slaves, the hearers know that this person is rather well off. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not poor, 
but he's a rather wealthy landowner. And he says to them, when the slaves come to him and say, Master, we've got a serious problem here. We've got poisonous weeds growing in the wheat. Did you not plant good seeds in the good soil? He said, yes, I did. He said, an enemy has done that. An enemy has come and planted the seed of the tear, the the non-incarnational church, in the carnational, incarnational church. The enemy has done that. And they say, oh, okay, well, we'll go pull them up. He says, no, 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 don't do that. Well, this is when we start to see that, that he is in this parable, that the landowner is analogous with God. Because this is what he says. No, 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 don't do that. They look too much alike right now. And you might pull up a wheat. Now, you know, that's an interesting little phrase there. Because, you know, some of us are not exactly where we want to be. Some of us are not exactly where we ought to be. Some of us are, some of us are about 67.3-fold in our spiritual lives. And we don't want to be pulled up, do we? We don't want God to say, oh, sorry, you're not, a, you're not 100%. Whoop, you're out of here. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want to grow. We want to continue to allow the incarnational identity of Jesus Christ that lives inside of us to continue to grow us, to transform us more and more into his likeness. So what he says is just wait for the harvest. And when that happens, when that day comes, I'm going to know exactly what's wheat and what's not. I'm going to know who's my church and who is not my church. And only God has the right to decide who is the true church and who is the false church. What we individually have to think about is what are we doing with our life, with the spirit that lives in us? What are we doing? Are we striving to follow the master? Now, this is when it gets into that little section there where we have to beware of judgment. It's very easy sometimes to judge another person and to say, well, you know, they just aren't where they ought to be. I mean, I, listen, I am such an amazing Christian. You have no idea all the things that I do. Not to mention how many gifts I have. I mean, there's so many I've lost count. And I mean, we really, we really can go off like that. Doesn't sound very incarnational to me. But we've all done it. We've all judged the person sitting to our right or to our left. Well, you know, I had, well, yeah, I had an affair, yeah. But <laughs> she had four. <laughs> we think God thought about that. Well, God thought the same thing about the one that he thought about the four. I can tell you that right now. He wasn't pleased. He's not pleased when we, who have the spirit of the living God living inside of us, when we have that power, when we start hanging out with tears, he doesn't like that. 
because he knows how ferocious they are. He knows what the world can do. The world can come and choke us before we even know it. So he says, wait till the end, the harvest. We'll pick up those tares. I know who they are, and we're going to burn them because that's all they're good for. But the wheat, oh yeah, the wheat, that'll be stored in my barn. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Now, I think that the epistle that we read in Romans ends this sermon very well. There's often great suffering as we ask the Lord to transform us into his likeness, especially in the church. We're going to suffer as incarnational church when we take a stand for the word of God, for Jesus. We're going to suffer for that. And so there's a lot of pain a lot of times when we decide that we're going to take that step. But Paul tells us in Romans, he says, consider the suffering that we're having right now, either in our physical body, in our emotional bodies, the part of us, in our church, in our families, in our businesses, Consider all that suffering minor compared to the glory that belongs to the incarnational disciple of Jesus Christ. Consider it nothing compared to the glory. And so you see, we have to focus on what is focused on in the kingdom of God in the incarnational church, which is following the master, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who? Who for the suffering, for the cross set before him? He despised the shame, did he not? But with joy, he went to the cross because he knew what it was going to buy him. It knew, he knew what the reward was, the salvation of the world. The root system on the tares, talking about creation in Romans, the root system on a tear is very weak. This is why they grow fast and ferocious, whereas the root system on grain, on wheat, is strong. The root system the root that we have in us is Jesus Christ. And he's strong because he's already won the war. And therefore, we can win the battles. Now, winning might not look like what we want. You know, we pray for people that are sick and they get sicker. We pray for people that are on the verge of dying that God will save them, and they die. We pray that our business is going to prosper, and, and Lord, I'm just going to give it all to you. I'm giving it all, surrendering my life to you, Lord. And all of a sudden, some horrible thing happens. An enemy comes and plants a darnell, a tear right in the middle of the business. You see, sometimes winning is not the same thing to us as it is to God. 
What he's in interested in as to why we are incarnational disciples of Jesus Christ is our transformation. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, so that the world can see Jesus through the embodying of our flesh. So here's the question for us today. Which church are you a part of? It's never too late to change churches. As long as we're breathing, as long as we're breathing. The minute we stop breathing, we can't change churches. But as long as we're breathing, we can change churches. If we're not a part of the incarnational church, the wheat church, incarnational disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to change our membership now. Do it today. It's not a big deal. You don't have to go through a lot of red tape. You don't have to send in, you know, like all these forms and then wait for the rector to sign it and then you, know, you have to get that back and you don't have to do any of that. You just say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm a mess. I believe in you, but I'm not following you. I want to be a part of your incarnational church. Forgive me. Forgive me for the life I've been leading and help me to follow you. Done. Jesus says, great, I got a plan for you. And then you start your discipleship. And we start growing. And we start getting transformed. And all of a sudden we become incarnational looking. And people start looking at us and say, Oh, wait a minute now, I remember you. It's like they said about me when I was in college. Uh, then I came back from college, and I had spent six months with Susan Yates uh, up in Columbia, and um, a little bit of discipleship. Uh, her husband's a priest. I think, um, Greg, you've talked about John and Susan. I think she, they've been here, have they not? And um, after about six months of, of that, and then, of course, the discipling that I got from my mentor in Charleston, when I went back to school, whoa, what happened to you? I said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Whoa, what, wait, wait, what does that mean? I'm going to follow Jesus. Does that mean we're not going to parties? I said, no, it doesn't mean that. It just means that I might be different at parties. I don't think I need to explain that. <laughs> I think we all kind of know all the different behavior that can take place at a party. This day, if you're not in the incarnational church of Jesus Christ, change your membership. I promise you it's worth it. Because we're going to all go through suffering. We're going to all go through pain. But when we've got the power of the living God living inside of us that created the universe, can you imagine what our life could be like? If we're just an admirer of Jesus, let's become a follower. 
Let's allow the spirit of the living God who lives in us to make us incarnational disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the incarnational identity that you've given to each one that you live in. And I just thank you and praise you for that, Lord. Lord, I thank you also that your word that goes out does not return to you void. Lord, give us the strength. Let us know, Lord, that you are with us. And, Lord, that your desire for us to grow is is the desire of your heart. And, Lord, just because we might not be where someone else is in their spiritual life, that doesn't mean we're going to be plucked up. Because once the spirit of the living God lives inside of us, we become yours. And you went to the cross for us. And you're going to look for us when we wander off. And I thank you for that. And we praise you and we give you all the glory, Jesus. For you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Amen.